Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Micton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, ASA for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have a returning guest, uh, Daniela Silva. The last time uh, we spoke to Daniela, she was in Peru, and she's now in Singapore, so halfway across the world. So, uh, Daniela, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's always good to chat. So, um, people should, I'll put a link to the last talk we had. Um, you worked for a uh, school in, in international school in Peru, where I've visited, really, really beautiful place. And since the move to Singapore. Now, um, I want to talk a bit about, you know, your new role and working in Asia and obviously during the pandemic, which has obviously changed things probably <laughs> compared to what you normally be doing. And then I want to talk about Singapore because um, it's an interesting place for me. You know, I'm actually thinking uh, to move to Asia with my family. Uh, we're looking at a few places and um, Singapore is obviously high up on most people's list of uh, countries to live with kids. So, so yeah, first of all, the job, like, what, so why did you decide to move? Did you, because, and do you, do you want to explain about why you decided to move and what, and what your new role is? Like, what, what type of thing you do? Because I know you're managing a group of schools technology, which is interesting to me. Yeah, um, thank you again, Dan, for, for having me over. So the interest came because, you know, sometimes when you group at central offices, you have a bigger impact on teaching and learning. And this opportunity um, just knocked my door through LinkedIn, which is very interesting now. LinkedIn is a very powerful tool for recruiting. Yeah, and we'll talk um, about this, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the opportunity came up. Um, it was a great uh, experience for me professionally, but more importantly, it was better for my family. Um, and we were really looking forward to some sort of change, you know, yeah. So this came out and I joined at that moment, we were called uh, Dolage College International. We have schools in South Korea, um, China and Singapore. Yeah. And so interesting because how, um, so I want LinkedIn, that's a really interesting thing to talk about um, because I'm really active on LinkedIn now. I find it's a great way to network with people. I, I was pretty much only Twitter before and now First of all, Twitter started to annoy me just because of all the flame wars and just like stupidity. But um, I'm I'm finding LinkedIn way more useful. You can actually have good conversations with people, good way to connect. You can see who somebody really is and they're, where they're really working. Uh, and I've had opportunities from it. So I saw any any tips you've got for people using LinkedIn. I saw I think like me, you've got the premium version. I saw you've got the icon, the gold icon. Like any tips? How do you use LinkedIn and how do you find it useful? I think what's very useful in LinkedIn is that you can belong to certain communities yeah. where the conversations, the posts, the shareouts are more focused to a specific topic, whether that's Google or you yeah. know any any other type of topic. Twitter is good. Um, you have a limit on the number of characters that you want to share, and then there's a lot of content dumped into you through Twitter. That's why most of the people start creating their list and their groups. I find uh, LinkedIn more focused to professional learning. Yeah. And you re really see more depth 
in terms of new contents, new pedagogies, or new frameworks. Do you think it's more LinkedIn is more leadership and, and Twitter is more teachers? Not necessarily. That's my opinion. And yeah, it's good you disagree. I've, I just, um, there's teachers on there, but often when I look at them, they don't have, they haven't obviously filled in the profile. They're not active. They've got a few people they're connected to, you know? Whereas if you see someone in school leadership there, they always have the, the 500 plus, because you know, the maximum it shows is 500. They've always got 500 plus, they're posting. Um, I think some leadership people post on Twitter, so some don't. I don't know. It's just my opinion. It's interesting you, it's interesting you think it's, it's, it's kind of across the two. Yeah, yeah um, I, would, I, I would say like most teachers that I've seen or I've known or I'm connected through Twitter also have LinkedIn. Yeah, true. But are they, do you think they're as active on LinkedIn as they are on Twitter? Or you think it just depends on the teacher? I think it depends on the teacher. But, you know, just thinking about what you said, they're more active on Twitter. I guess it's it's more easy to just yeah. go straight to the point. Sometimes when you tweet in LinkedIn, you have more space. You can attach more things. So it's, it's more time to prepare for your post. It's interesting because if I look, I quite often put the same posts on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I... I haven't put any effort into this. So I probably should think about it more, but I actually get way more people view the post on Twitter, like 10 times more. I mean, sometimes, you know, I did a post the other day on Twitter and it had like 15,000 views, you know, because Google Analytics, Google Analytics can't retweet it. And, and LinkedIn is not many. It's very few views, but I get people, I get more connections from people contact me about it on LinkedIn, you know, so it's small, but, but it seems like it's people take action and just my just i'm just interested because I've, I've, I've i'm kind of a new linkedin convert you know i didn't really like it and now i'm using it all the time so interesting <laughs> and, and you just to get back to what we're talking about so you got the job through linkedin is that right someone contacted you through linkedin a recruiter exactly yes yeah cool and do you think that happens a lot i mean is it i mean that's a good reason to have a good profile and stuff do you, did you put like the open to work thing or they just contacted you and see if you said you were interested to move I had the open to work okay. um, on your profile picture, right? Yeah, the green. Okay, so that's a good tip, I guess, people. If you if you're doing that, um, people know to contact you. And I think you can, um, I think you can make your profile. You can you can indicate you're looking for a job, so only recruiters see it. I don't know if you've seen that. You can put something so only recruitment agencies see see this thing. Nobody else does, which is quite that's quite cool. And you can also um, select the regions where you want to be recruited. Uh -huh. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's very really interesting. Good. Yeah, so you got the job through a recruiter. Um, do you think, is that the first time you've done that? And was it, was it a good experience working with an agency? Uh, not through a recruiter, it was directly. Uh, oh, it was directly. Okay, sorry. So it was yeah, actually yeah, yeah. a school, the group. Yeah. Oh, okay, got it, got it. Yeah. So they're yeah. doing their own recruitment. Cool. So what, what's, what's, your, what's your role now? What, what, type of, what, what type of stuff are you doing? Um, so my role, I'm the group head of learning, innovation, and educational technology. Um, we have two headquarters for the company. One is in Shanghai, one is in Singapore. I'm based in Singapore since January 2021. And my, I would say my main role is to support all the educational technology leaders that we have across our group with yeah. different uh, research, insights, support, policies, um, and anything that I could help them with. Um, we also have like a professional learning center that it's called Connected Ed. So I do a lot of publications on instructional strategies with technology. Is that, is that like a physical, a physical place in Singapore or is it an online program? It's an online site. 
that we have for the entire group where you can go and if you need some professional learning courses, you use, you know, safeguarding course or you use um, using technology for learning. Ah, so so you are you actually are you actually recording the materials? Are you actually producing these courses, or are you getting them from elsewhere? We're doing both. Um, yeah. We also have LinkedIn Learning, um, so we create playlists of different, uh, let's say, uh, different courses for Microsoft Teams. So if you're new to Microsoft Teams, we create a playlist. So if you're beginner, intermediate, or or advanced you as an educator from the group, you can go and take these courses. So what is, what is LinkedIn Learning? I'm not familiar with that. It's the professional learning um, module of LinkedIn. So wow. as an organization, you can have courses and certificates within LinkedIn Learning. Just internally for your company? Yes. Okay, that's interesting. I never heard of it. Cool. So, um, so how does it work? Because it's interesting. I've been looking at a lot of these groups of schools, there's a huge amount now based in Asia, you know, Asia mostly, Middle East as well. You know, these obviously you've got the big groups like Cognito and Gems and North Anglia, and then you've got a lot of smaller groups like like your your one. Um, and, and it's interesting how a lot of them have the model of I don't know how you describe it, like the franchise model, working for these English private schools. You know, have a relationship with them and and use their name. So was that, was that was that your first time working in this kind of group of schools? Did you always work in individual ones before? Before working for the Colegio Roosevelt, the American School of Lima, I was actually working at Qatar Foundations Schools, where we had okay. 10 schools yeah. within Qatar. So this is my second time I'm working in a central office. Oh, yeah, I forgot you were in Qatar. I just said, yeah, that was good. We were actually doing some stuff with Qatar Foundation still, actually, now, so it was great. I remember the first time we spoke, actually, when you were in Qatar. Yeah. Um, what about... Um, so, so, like, obviously, you didn't, you didn't set this thing up. So, you know, you you kind of inherited the job and you came in and now you're running the learning technology. How does it work? I'm curious, like, um, does each school have control of its own technology or do you try to do it centrally or is it a combination? I would say it's a combination of both. Um, normally when you have these um, groups of schools, there's some independence that you give out to the schools. And also there's some things that are streamlined from the center for economic scales, or for just to have some standardizations of protocols or procedures. So I would yeah. say we are with a combination of both. Actually, we are in the middle of something called D3. Um, it's yeah. called knowledge digital difference. And it's the digital transformation journey that started before I joined the organization. But we're in the middle of it where we're trying to create a streamlined uh, systems between all of our schools so we can get more clear um, insights talking about data for yeah. all the different systems that we can use. So what we have done recently is that all of our schools moved to a single tenant and yeah. that was under Microsoft 365. Interesting. I know only I know um, some of your schools use Google and some use Microsoft. I don't know, don't know if you've looked at Google BigQuery, which is we've been looking at that a lot recently with schools. And it's really, if, you, if your school is using Google, it's, you can get really good analytics of all the data on, on usage, on all the, everything. And um, that's, that's going to be big, I think. And I'm sure Microsoft has something similar. Yes, yes. Yeah, one of the challenges is that, you know, Google, it's hard to be used in China. <laughs> so that's one of the Very reasons. Very true. I mean, it's interesting. Some schools do use it through a VPN. I don't know how they get away with it, but it's, it's very few. 
yeah, you have to be careful with VPNs as well. So yeah, although it's interesting, I was chatting to one uh, guy in in uh, Beijing, and he said that actually. Google isn't actually illegal in China. Like it's some gray area where you can actually do it, but I don't know. You know, like I think it's effectively illegal. But, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. I think that's a that's another podcast about yeah, what's legal yeah. and not there. Yeah. Yeah, it's complicated. So, so you're like, I'm interested because let's cause people might. I'm sure people might be interested in your role. People who are maybe were technology directors, maybe looking to do some kind of group role. Is it like? Is it, is it, I mean, I guess it's difficult to say what it's like because COVID is here and you haven't been able to leave. Like normally, would you be out visiting the schools and things? Yes. So normally pre-COVID, um, the person before me was actually visiting all the schools, meeting the teachers, meeting the ed techs, uh, meeting the information uh, systems persons and just working, you know, just working with the teachers within their context. Because even though we are part of a group, each of the colleges and the schools are unique in terms yeah. of, you know, demographics and, and programs. Right. So, so, so in normal times, like how often would you be, would you be flying out and visiting the schools? Would it be every month or is it not, not that often? I would say a week or two every two months. Okay. Interesting. And like, is it, is this something you're missing? Like being in a school, having the teachers and the students there? You do. Um, you do miss it, but you know, we have one school here uh, in Singapore that I visit. So that has been nice. Yeah. Um, the other way that I stay close to what's happening inside the classroom is, you know, through the International Baccalaureate, the yeah. IBDP. I'm a principal examiner and also a curriculum developer. So that's one way that I, I try to keep, you know, my center with what's happening inside the classroom. Now that's interesting. Somebody asked me about that recently, like, how does someone go about becoming like uh, an examiner or a curriculum developer? Is this, uh, what, what's the process? How, how would someone who's interested look at doing that? So I started back in, I would say 2007. Um, and you start first, you have to be a teacher of that subject. You know, yeah. you have to be a teacher after you completed all your trainings and your certificates. Um, then you have the option to apply to be an assistant examiner. So yeah. once you become an assistant examiner for many years, then the IB could promote you to a principal examiner. The principal examiner is the person who oversees or coordinates the assistant examiners worldwide. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And and is that is that like a is that a paid position? Do they give you a stipend for doing this, or is it just a purely volunteer position to do that? Um, they give you a very small stipend. I think it's more a vocation. Um, yeah, and also yeah. stay current. And at the same time, I think it has been a tremendous learning experience for me because, you know, I was part of, of the group that developed um, Digital Society course in the DP, which is actually changing from um, ITGS. So it was good to be part of that process um, with many different um, thought leaders across the world. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, uh well, yeah, anything else about the role? I'm interested. So you're doing learning technologies. Like uh, what type of things are you looking to do? Are you looking, are you focusing on, we mentioned before about data. Are you looking at data on student information systems? Like what, what do you think are the interesting things you're going you're gonna to be working on? So one of the things that we're going to start is um, the Launchpad, which is a portal, and also the LMS review process. Yeah. Um, our schools 
have been independently using uh, different LMSs. And that's hard when you're trying to pull up some data to do some strategic decisions. So one of the things that we're doing is we are streamlining LMSs across the group yeah. because that's also going to help, you know, parents and students to see the same content in the same platform if they have kids across different sections of the schools or different schools per se. Yeah. And what are you, if you can say, like, what, what LMSs are you looking at? What's, what's interesting to you now as a, as a learning management system? I don't think we are in that stage yet. No. We're actually looking at the requirements. Um, and once we got the requirements, we're going to reach out to different um, uh, vendors to see if they first match the requirements, then we engage in, in further conversations. I guess you're looking for something that can integrate with Google and Microsoft as well as a set kind of the fundamental systems that people yes. need to work with. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, so, okay, that's fascinating. I want to talk a bit about Singapore because um, I was talking to you earlier, like you know, I'm looking to move to Asia at some point. Um, we're, actually going to, we're actually going to Dubai. I haven't told you. I'm actually going to Dubai with a family for two months this year. And we might stay longer. We're going to come back for Christmas and see. I'd, I feel like a change of scene, and I've got a lot going on in the Middle East. So we're going to. We were looking at places, and Dubai seems like the most family friendly and best best transport connections. I can get to Asia. I can get to Europe. But after that, we're looking at Asia. Um, how do you find it? I mean, like, I guess if, if, you know, it'd be just good to hear a little flavor of what it's like to live there. Uh, I know you've got a child. Um, what, what's what kind of what's expat life like that, as in a general way? So. I lived in China 10 years ago. Um, I have visited Singapore as a tourist and I really liked it uh, when I was living in Qatar. But now that I'm living here, I can say that it, I really enjoy being an expat here. Um, yeah. there's, there's a sense of community between expats and a good openness from the locals. Um, yeah. There's a mixture of cultures. You get restaurants from all over the world you hear languages from all over the world in your apartments, on the streets, on, you know, taking the, the trains. So it's that it's something that I really enjoy. Uh, second of all is the safetyness. You know, it's super yeah. safe. It's very safe. I have friends that their kids just take, you know, the local transportation, go to school, come back. Um, very easy going. Um, I would say that even driving, some people yep. disagree. For me, it's super safe compared to all the other countries that I have lived in. Do you, do you drive? Do you drive, or do you just take public transport? We drive. Yeah. Okay. And is yeah. it is it is it easy to get around in the car? I always imagine it's super crowded. Singapore is it, is it is it easy to get around? I would say because we're in COVID, it's super easy to get around. You only get you know peak hours where the traffic is really bad. But I don't know whenever you know the country really opens up and you get more tourists. Yeah. You might get more and more crazy. But, you know, my commute to my office is actually two minutes walking. Okay, two minutes walking. Oh, that's fun. That's the, I guess <laughs> you planned that. You found somewhere close to where yeah. you live, which is the way yeah. to do it. Yeah, and where do, you, where do you work? I was going to look on Google Maps. You work in the center of Singapore or if there is a center? Yeah, there's like a downtown. Um, it's called Novena. So I work there. Novena. Okay, cool. What... um. What about um, like living? Do, do most people, I guess some people listen to this might be looking to work there as a, as a teacher or whatever. There's a, a lot of international school jobs in Singapore. Most of the time, I guess it's apartments. Do the schools organize it? And what kind of, what are the apartments like there? I would have to say from my own experience, because I'm not actually working at a school. I'm yep. more working at a head office. But my understanding from friends that I have here that I worked with them in Qatar or China or even Peru, 
um, most of the schools provide you some housing allowance. Yep. And then whenever you arrive, they provide you two weeks of a service apartment. So you get right. two weeks to actually find a place and or sometimes you find a place online from before you get here and then you move to these to these um, apartments and most of the apartments have a pool have a tennis court um, it's very green here so it's it's really really easy it's a very i would say a very automated country everything's through the phone you need an yeah. app for everything so as long as you have phone and a lot of battery you're good to go what about, um, I was just talking to Justin Hardman, who lives in Hong Kong. He runs 21CL, uh, actually yesterday. And he was talking about how small the apartments are in Hong Kong. Is it similar in Singapore or do you have a bit more space? I think from friends who have lived there, they say it's bigger here. So our they, spaces okay, are okay. bigger in Singapore. Yeah. And what about family life? Like, um, I know there's a lot of expat, I mean, there's expat sport clubs and things like that. I mean, what, what, do, what do you, how have you met other parents and what kind of things do you do in the, in the weekends and stuff? Um, as you know, I'm from Ecuador, so I speak Spanish and my husband is from Uruguay and we speak Spanish everywhere. Um, that's our first language. So for example, we go to a restaurant or we go to a store and we start speaking Spanish and then some other people, you know, approach us and said, oh, you speak Spanish. And then, you know, we get along and, and yeah, those yeah. are the friends that we have now. And okay. I, and they have children the same age as, as our daughter. So that has been really good. Great. And what about the schools? I mean, obviously, you, you only know the school your daughter goes to. But I mean, I, I know, um, I know the Singapore American School. Actually, Chip Kimball, uh, who's a, who's now he was a director, now he's ISP. I met him last week, and that's a, that's a pretty phenomenal school. I think it's like four and a half thousand students. It's just crazy. But I know that's very regarded. And a lot of the other schools are good. Is that your experience that the schools are very good, the international schools? Yes, yes. I will have to say yes. <laughs> yeah. And the local, I believe the local education system in Singapore is, is good as well. I mean, I haven't had much, I haven't never worked with any schools from it, but just from what I've read, I think it's quite highly regarded. Yes, they have a lot of requirements and exams. Um, I would say that education in Singapore, whether that's local or independent, it's really good. Yeah, I guess I've heard that as a criticism of the local system, but it is super focused on, on, on exams, like a lot of Asian countries, you know. Almost, almost too much uh, in terms of that. In, in my, from from us coming from a more Western environment, you know, it seems like that. Cool. So, what, what's what's the future for you? You think you're going to stay in Singapore long term, or like, I mean, I, I guess you know, you're hoping for. I guess you're hoping for COVID to end, like everyone, so you can travel around a little bit and see some things. Yeah, we would love to go. You know, to Indonesia or just Malaysia, where you can drive for hours and you are in their capital Kuala Lumpur, but. No, we, we are really happy where we are. Um, I like sunshine, as you know. I'm from Guayaquil, from Ecuador, and, and I'm used to the sunshine and the heat, and I miss that a lot. Um, and my daughter is having a great experience at her school. She's learning Mandarin. She speaks Spanish with us at home, and she also speaks English at school. So um, having that third language for her was very important for us. And do you think she do you think she can learn Mandarin? Do you think it's realistic to, to learn it? She picks up words a lot. She gets one hour of Mandarin a day. Um, she understands the, the writing now. If yeah. we are at a shopping mall or anything, she can pick up words and say, Hey mom, I think she's saying that she wants to go to the restroom, for example. 
Yeah, and yeah. I have no idea what they're talking about, but yeah, she, yeah, yeah. she does understand. And I think she's only five. So that's the, the best age for her to, to get the third language. Got it. Are, are you trying to learn Mandarin or are you not even, not even going for it? Not even trying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, honestly, I try and when I lived in China and I can get by, of, you know, just buying stuff, but that's it. I mean, that, that's all I can talk. I, I would love to learn that, but it's just such a commitment. It's such a, it's a serious, I mean, you can get to a basic level, you know, fairly easily, but then to, to actually speak it, I got a good friend, Dave Freeman in Taiwan, and he grew up there and speaks really good, really good Mandarin. And it, it just impresses people so much when, when they're out there, you know, he even has a local accent and everything. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> well, you have to live also in a country that speaks Mandarin, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I guess Singapore is a mixture, isn't it? Do you get Cantonese speakers as well? Or is it a mixture of languages or is it mostly Mandarin? I would say mostly Mandarin, but most of the um, communication from the government, everything's in English here. Right. Everything's in English. Yeah. Yeah, because you've, you've got a few ethnic groups. I know there's um, Malaysians or Malays and a lot of Indians, isn't there? And, and obviously Chinese. So it's a kind of real, there's a few kind of large ethnic groups in Singapore that make up the country. Yes, yes. And you get a lot of expats, I, I would say, because of the location from New Zealand and Australia. Um, we're so close to to them and you get a lot of expats from that region. Is that the, is that, yeah, is, is, that the, is that the biggest group of expats you'd say, Australia and New Zealand? I would say UK. UK, really? <laughs> There's always, <laughs> yeah, former British colony, I guess. Uh, maybe that's the connection. Yeah. Well, Daniela, re really great to talk. Um, I guess it's what time is it? It's eight o'clock in the morning here. It's early afternoon for you, I guess. Just have just one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, two thirty p.m. Two thirty. Okay, cool. So still still at work. So uh, great to talk. Um, and let let's do another catch up again in a in a year or so and see what your. I'm sure you'll still be in Singapore, but we can see what what your role has, has developed into. Absolutely. I mean, this podcast really helped me reflect on my journey, um, yeah. and I'm really thankful for that. Thank you, Dan, for inviting me over again. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thanks. Bye.